This Dharma talk by Joan Sutherland Roshi, Dharma Gates of the Ancestors, was given at Pacific Zen Institute in Santa Rosa, California, on November 17, 2008. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, my brief is to talk about the ancestors. Can you? Is it all right? There's a strange sort of thing in my ear. Maybe if I move this down a little bit. Can you still hear that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is the autumn when, for many people around the world, thoughts turn toward the ancestors, and people make giant Dia de los Muertos altars in my part of the world and um, have feasts for the ancestors. And we think about them, and maybe they think about us, too. Maybe this is the time when the veils between the worlds grow thin and the ancestors come by to check up on us to see how we're doing. So I want to speak a little bit tonight about having a living relationship with the ancestors because in some very fundamental ways, we are because they were. And this tradition we're part of is at least 70 generations, 1,400 years old. So it's been carried down from generation to generation to generation so that we might experience it and know it and love it and hate it and change it and keep it uh, as we do now. So I wanted to, um, to talk about a, a, a kind of an example of something that's uh, really common in modern American Buddhism and then talk about it from the perspective of the ancestors, which might be a little bit different. <coughs> so the idea um, I want to use as an example is the very common idea of Dharma gates, that situations and encounters with people uh, are, can be, if we let them, Dharma gates, and they can allow us to learn something new, to walk through the Dharma gate and discover something new. In my experience, mostly people talk about Dharma gates in relationship to difficult people. Uh, it, was, it was a really tough conversation, but there was a Dharma gate there for me, and I really got something right. Okay. So this formulation, which is extremely prevalent in, in American Buddhism and um, almost a cliché, is something that's always made me feel really queasy. And... It makes me feel queasy because it would be easy to interpret that as meaning that what's important is what you learn out of the situation, that you walk through the circumstance, through the person, to the land of uh, what's important for you to learn, so that we can have an almost instrumental view of people and circumstances. They are important, interesting, valuable, uh, insofar as they help us learn something. And um, that's the complete opposite of Tathagata. That is the complete opposite of meeting each situation and each person vivid, alive, particular, not going anywhere, not enabling us to go through it or around it or under it. Um, 
One of the, the women teachers of the Tang Dynasty used to say, each being has its own radiance. Each being is a 10,000 foot cliff. That's Tathagata. When we are stopped and we see the radiance of each being, each situation we encounter, and we recognize the 10,000 foot cliff right there um, for us to fall. So if we want to think about Dharma gates in a different way, not as um, an occasion for our learning, but as something much deeper and more profound, let's turn to the ancestors and see what they have to say about it. I want to uh, work with a koan by Yunmen, who was one of the greatest of the Chinese uh, koan masters, and in fact, among the first, if not the first, teachers to recognize the power of poems as a, 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 a way of teaching and also as a way of awakening. So we have this whole line of people from, from Yunmen to Dawe in China to Buko and Hakuen in Japan, all of whom took the koan tradition, ate the marrow of it, changed it. Um, loved it and passed it on so that it would come to us so that we can eat the marrow of it love it, change it and pass it on in our turn so Yunmen said at one point when he was talking to the people who were gathered around him at his temple (laughs) in the wide world in the midst of the cosmos there is a treasure hidden in your body It holds a lantern and goes toward the Buddha Hall. It takes the mountain gate and puts it on the lantern. So here's a different way of looking at gates. Let me talk about um, some of what Yunmen was saying, maybe. So he begins by saying, In the whole world, in the wide world, in the midst of the cosmos, there is a treasure hidden in your body. So immediately he evokes a kind of existential situation of being human. He starts out in the whole world, not big enough, in the cosmos. Let's get really big. Let's bring in the whole thing. In the midst of the cosmos, there's you, your body, your mammal body, you know, the flesh and bone of you, the imagination and the heart of you. And within that you is a treasure. And there's some implication that that treasure connects you with the whole cosmos. In our tradition, because the central image is enlightenment, because it's one of light, we tend to think of that treasure maybe as a bit of light, a spark of the divine. But I want to suggest something else which comes out of the Taoist tradition, also another source spring for us. In the Taoist tradition, which was taken also into Chan, into Chinese Buddhism, the center of things, the origin, um, was called the dark mysterious. It was seen as something dark, something we couldn't look into, something we couldn't understand. 
And out of that darkness flowed streams of light, branches of light. And those branches of light make up everything that is experienceable by us, everything that is visible and palpable, everything that is part of our daylight lives, including our imaginations and the workings of our hearts. But all of that comes out of a dark center. It's as if everything we can know, everything we experience, is a vast temple. And at the center of the temple is a courtyard, and in the center of the courtyard is a well. And down that well, it is completely dark. It's the place we can't see. It's the place we can't know. And the idea that at the very center of things, at the very heart of things, is a mystery, is really powerful. There's something we can't know. There's something unattainable by us, and that is the nature of things. So maybe that hidden treasure in us is a bit of that dark. It's the thing that connects us to the vastness, to the whole cosmos. It's the bit of the dark that we carry around inside of ourselves. And maybe it's the place we connect to the dark. It's the place that we can fall through the bottom of into the vastness without knowing, without grasping, but just falling. So we carry that with us all the time. And sometimes I think that maybe we get afraid in our spiritual practices because it is a bit of the dark. And as we come to know that, there can be something a little scary about that, about thinking that it's a portal into the vastness, into what is completely unknown. And maybe that's why we back off sometimes. Maybe we think, I don't know, I'm not sure I want to go there. I'm not sure I want to really fall through there. But if we hold it as a treasure, if we allow ourselves to, um, to live with it and grow with it, something can happen, and that's what the rest of the koan is about. The, um, the original gangster, Bodhidharma, who brought Zen from uh, India to China, talked about in your spiritual life, If you have a dream of the night sky and it is full of the constellations, something big is about to happen. And that's always meant to me that if you dream of the vastness, if you dream of that dark, mysterious, but you begin to see lights in it, you begin to see patterns and shapes of the constellations, something's coming in. Something is about to be manifest. Something is going to become part of our lives, part of our ordinary daylit lives. And that's a big thing. That's a wonderful moment. So we can come into a relationship with the darkness. We can't grasp it, control it, contain it, order it around, make it do things. But we can come into relationship to it. We can listen to it. We can sit down next to that well in the center of the temple and see what happens when we get really quiet.
Okay, so that's in the in the midst of the cosmos, inside your body is a treasure. And then the next line is holding a lantern, it goes to the Buddha Hall. Not you, but it. It holds the lantern and it goes. So if we allow ourselves to come into some kind of relationship with that bit of eternity that we carry inside of ourselves, that bit of the primary and ordinary mystery, then something begins to happen beyond our will, beyond our ability to engineer it. It begins to move with a lantern toward the Buddha Hall. And that Buddha Hall isn't some special place, you know, the happy place of your meditation or anything like that, some removed place. It's your very life. It's your life itself. It's the world itself. And so the promise that Yun Men is offering us is that it will begin to move, that it is the natural progression of our life to move with that lantern toward the Buddha Hall. So what's the it? What is it that holds the lantern and moves? Mostly we have an experience that there's a kind of continuity. You know, we wake up in the morning and we pretty much know who we are most days. You know, there's something that persists from yesterday and we're pretty sure we'll be there tomorrow. And Buddhism 101 says it's not the self. That's not what that is. And the more we meditate, the more we spend time with the koans, the more we realize that, in fact, the self does rise and fall, come and go, that sometimes we crawl into the self and use it when we need it. And sometimes when we're in absorption, in meditation or physical exertion or making art, the self really does disappear. It really isn't there. So if the self is not the continuous thing, what is? Maybe it's that bit of the dark that we carry in us and what happens when we come into relationship with it. Maybe it's our awakening that is the continuous thing. Maybe our awakening is something that begins with the first breath we draw and continues to unfold all the way through our lives until the last breath. And probably before the first breath and probably after the last breath, too. But maybe that bit of the dark in our body, in our human bodies, is the through line, the base note, the thing that moves from beginning to middle to end and carries us, carries the lantern toward the Buddha Hall. Maybe our awakening is happening all the time, and maybe we sometimes have big experiences in meditation that are sort of breakthrough moments, and they're part of that awakening, but just part of it. Maybe the awakening is every day, day in and day out, always occurring. Maybe we're never away from it. Maybe we're never not walking toward the Buddha Hall. We're never um, on a detour or in a dead end. We never forget it, and it never forgets us. Everything that happens, every moment of our life, is a moment of awakening.
is a moment of walking toward the Buddha Hall because we carry in our human bodies, in our flesh and our bones and our blood and our imaginations and our feelings and our thoughts, we carry that bit of eternity with us. Okay, maybe so far so good. And then, because it's Yun Men, it takes this twist at the end. All of a sudden, um, this it, our awakening, is grabbing the mountain gate and putting it on top of the lantern. Okay, what's that about? Where did that come from? The mountain gate was the entrance gate to the old Chinese monasteries. And if it was a pretty big monastery, it was a pretty big gate. In fact, it was more than just a gate. It was really a building with holes in it, with openings in it to come through. And uh, often above the openings was a gallery. And in the gallery were images of arhats and bodhisattvas and portraits of the former abbots of the temple and sometimes even the mummified bodies of the abbots of the temple. So this gate is the entrance and it's also the ancestors and the connection to the spirit world through the bodhisattvas. It's all of that. And it's that gate that gets put on this lantern so if we're walking with the it toward the, the Buddha hall and we've got the lantern and the gate is on the lantern, that means that that gate is always in front of us, always right there. So this is the gift of the ancestors, this gate always right there in front of us. And now we've made the big loop around to the beginning about that idea of Dharma gates being something we discover in situations and walk through to figure something out, to learn something. What if we bring the gate with us? What if the gate comes first? What if the gift of this koan way is a portable gate that's always right in front of us that we walk through into the situation, not out of the situation, but into the situation? Another ancestor story. The first um, emperor who unified China was called Qin Shi Huangdi. And um, aside from being really paranoid and controlling and um, casually murderous, he was probably a lovely guy. Um, and so he had a place where he received people. And there was a gate through which everybody had to pass if they were going to come into his presence. And the gate was made out of lodestone which is magnetic. And so if you were carrying a concealed weapon, it would come shooting out of you and get stuck on the gate. If you were wearing concealed armor, you yourself would go flipping over to the side of the gate. So um, that lodestone gate can be a lovely image of what happens with meditation and the koan way. All of our defenses, all of our uh, preconceived ideas, you know, our um, fixed positions, all of the stuff we bring to in t- with us into a situation, maybe if that gate is a lodestone gate, gets pulled off of us in some way. So that we come into the situation as what Linji would have called true people of no rank. Without our defenses, with less to defend, with less to assert, with less to need to explain or want to be understood about, 
with fewer fixed positions, with fewer preconceived ideas, with fewer predetermined outcomes. All of that stripped from us by the lodestone gate. So if we are willing to do the, the difficult work of meditation and other forms of practice, working with the koans, if we are willing to allow the gate that the ancestors give us to act upon us, then we come through that gate and enter the situation in a really different way than our ordinary way of doing it. And when we do that, something becomes possible. That something is the quality of realization, of enlightenment, that was called becoming intimate. It makes it possible for us to become intimate with whatever radiant being, whatever 10,000-foot precipice awaits us on the other side of the gate. I live in um, a part of the country now in Santa Fe, in the old part of town, where people often have big walls that they live behind. And so when you walk down the street, what you see are a series of walls, and the walls are punctuated by gates. And somehow, when I think of us being able to move through this gate um, toward becoming intimate, I think of all of those gates suddenly opening and people coming out and meeting together uh, on the common road under the common sky and having some kind of meeting there that has that quality of intimacy, of true persons of no rank meeting each other. So maybe I'll just close with one last image from the ancestors of what that might be like, what that can be like when we are willing to walk through the gate that is the gift of the ancestors and come into a situation looking to liberate the intimacy that is already there. That's what the old Chan teacher said. Intimacy is inherent in every situation, in every moment, and our task is to liberate the intimacy already inherent in the moment. So, another of the old Chinese teachers, Zhao Zhou, said, it's as though you see a word, and of course he was thinking about a Chinese character, it's as though you see a word, and you don't know what it means, but you recognize the handwriting. So there's a sense that as you enter the situation, you don't know what it means yet. You can't. You just showed up. You just got there. You don't know what the word means yet, but you recognize the handwriting. There is a something that makes us all kin. There is that bit of darkness, of the vastness, that everyone and everything carries within, hidden in its body. And if we see that, if we connect with that, if we connect shard of darkness to shard of darkness, bit of the vastness to bit of the vastness, then even if we don't know the meaning yet, we recognize the handwriting. We recognize the thing that makes us all kin and that makes it possible for us to liberate the intimacy that's always right here, always waiting to be freed.
So I will stop there and we'll welcome any comments or questions you might have. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.